Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. In this week's episode, week 18 of the longest NFL regular season we've ever seen, we'll be joined by the Hall of Fame quarterback and Fox analyst Troy Aikman, who now essentially is taking on Bud Light with a new light beer called Eight that's being released in Texas. Aikman and his partners raised the money for their Austin, Texas-based brewery from family and friends, had some big-time investors, and now are entering the U.S. brewing industry, which is a highly competitive space. Aikman will talk about his company, Eight, as well as the Cowboys' chances of having a successful postseason. And before we look ahead to Week 18's matchup, some big games that will dictate the playoff slate. First, a thought back as to what happened Monday night and into the start of Week 18. Well, we did Monday Night Countdown from Pittsburgh and got back to my hotel room there about 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. Went to bed because I was leaving the hotel at 4 a.m. to catch a 6 a.m. flight back to New York to tape this podcast with Troy Aikman. And when I got to bed about 11 o'clock, dozed off at about 1.30 in the morning, there were some very loud, celebratory, I would guess intoxicated, Steeler fans, maybe they were drinking eight for all we know. And they went on and on and on. And I called wholesale security, not to be the buzzkill to the party. And I said, hey, can you please come up to this floor and that room? There is an excessive amount of noise coming. I have to leave the hotel at four in the morning. Security came up, but this noise persisted for about 30 minutes. And so I would say I was up till about two o'clock, fell back asleep. And when the alarm sounded at 4 a.m., it didn't feel very good. So I got up, got washed up, got ready to leave. And I walked out my door and I started banging on that person's door very hard, consistently, just like they kept me up. I was determined to get them up. And so I knocked on that door for about 10, 15 seconds. And I began to walk down the hall as soon as I heard somebody walking to the hotel door. They opened up the door very slowly and said, what's this about? And I just kept walking and said, room service. That was my way of getting them back for keeping me up. I figured if I was going to be up early, they too should have to get up early. Uh, that is what unfolded at my hotel room here at Pittsburgh after a late night Ben Roethlisberger victory over the Cleveland Browns. Now we start off with an early morning call in Pittsburgh. We fly out at six o'clock. We land in New York about 730. I walk in my house about 815 and the phone rings. And Slime Time, my daughter Dylan's weekly TV show that she does a spot for, needs her for the first time to co-host with Nate Burleson. So when I walked in at 8.15, my plan was to go back to bed because I was completely exhausted from being up all night, thanks to my hotel next door neighbor, inconsiderately, and instead ventured into the city where we taped this podcast remotely for the first time outside of my New York home office. I've always taped here, but to sit down and talk with the great Troy Aikman, we did that from CBS's studios while my daughter Dylan co-hosted with Nate Burleson, Slime Time, which airs Wednesday night, 7 Eastern. And I would encourage everybody to please tune in. And let me just say this, for years, I brought my daughter to work with me. And on Tuesday, for the very first time, and what I hope would be not the last time, she brought me to work with her. And it was very, 
unbelievable to watch the whole thing, to see her work and operate as a 13-year-old girl with the great Nate Burleson. And it was really the thrill of a lifetime. And it made waking up that early and not getting to go back to sleep worth it a hundred times over. It was a fantastic experience being in the CBS studios, watching her work. And like I said, I hope I get to go to work with her for many years to come. Now, we move on to week 18. Some of the great matchups ahead, some playoff deciding games, some big games, and some of the games don't mean very much, but some of them mean an awful lot. We know that the Patriots and Dolphins on Sunday mean something towards the playoff seeding picture. Dolphins have won two straight against the Patriots, and they haven't won three straight against the Patriots since a five-game winning streak against that franchise from 1999 to 2001, pre-Tom Brady, of course. We have the Steelers and Ravens, what is going to be Ben Roethlisberger's last game. Fittingly, it'll come in Baltimore. That is the way that he should go out. And how about this? Since Mike Tomlin became the Steelers head coach in 2007, these teams are separated by two total points in 32 total games, including the playoffs. Two points separates them over 32 games. Absolutely incredible how that has transpired. We have the Saints and Falcons on Sunday. Saints have to win, right, to keep alive their playoff hopes. Remember, the Saints lost to the Falcons 27-25 in New Orleans in Week 9, and that was a game that started a five-game losing streak for the Saints, which was the longest losing streak under Sean Payton. The Falcons haven't won two straight against the Saints since a three-game winning streak in 2016 and 17. The 49ers also have to win to get into the NFC Plus. They play the Rams. The 49ers did beat the Rams on Monday Night Football earlier this year in Week 10, 31-10, the largest win of the season for the Niners, the largest loss of the season for the Rams. And it's another one of the matchups between Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, used to work together, still friendly, but also competitors now in the division. Keep in mind, Rams 5-2 and two at home this season and are 1-1 one one in home divisional games, losing against the Cardinals in Week 4. The big game of the weekend, of course, is the Chargers – and the Raiders, Sunday night football, it's essentially a playoff game. Winner goes to the playoffs. We were at the Chargers-Raiders game earlier this season, week four. It was a Monday night game. Chargers beat the Raiders 28-14 that night. Justin Herbert had three touchdown passes, no interceptions. They won on a one-yard Justin Herbert run in overtime. And the Raiders at home, they've been ordinary this year. Four and four at home. One and three in their last four home games after starting three and one at home. And so I think both teams heading with a little momentum. It's a playoff game for both teams. Should be really fun to see that game. And of course, there are other big games, but those are the notable matchups in my mind this upcoming playoff weekend. All right, let's move ahead to the Football Hall of Famer, Troy Aikman, who is now launching his own beer line called Eight. It's something that he feels very passionate about. It's obviously named for his old jersey number. Down the road, obviously, he'd like to be in other states and other large breweries across the country. But for now, it'll just be Texas. And for now, the great Troy Aikman shed some insight on his thinking about beer, John Madden, and the Dallas Cowboys. Hello there, Troy. How you doing? 
I'm doing good. Thank you very much for doing this. It's a big day for you, so I'm honored to get you on a day like this. Yeah, got a lot going on. It's exciting. You do have a lot going on, right? We've got this beer company that you're launching called Eight. So why don't we start there and tell me how you got to be involved with Eight? Well, uh, I'll give you a little backstory. I actually worked for a beer distributor back when I was in college, when I was transferring from Oklahoma to, to UCLA. And that was my first experience in the beer business. And then got drafted by the Cowboys and became really close friends with a guy named Barry Andrews, who has a distributorship here in Dallas. And he's one of the largest in the country, covers a lot of Texas, done a lot of things for him. And his company, and then did some national campaigns for Miller. So I've kind of loosely been associated in the in the beer industry for a while. I like beer, but I never imagined, Adam, that I'd be making my own beer. But through a mutual friend, I met my now partners, and we started talking about it. And I said, you know, I'm a light beer drinker. I work out. I consider myself a lifelong athlete. I'm always mindful of what it is that I'm putting in my body. And but I, I just feel like it's a space and a category that uh, could use something new and something fresh. And so we started down this path and here we are, you know, two, two over two years later. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's a, it's a unique beer in that it's low calorie, low carb, but it has no adjuncts and no fillers, which is pretty unique in that category. Uh, there's no corn added. There's no added rice. There's no added sugar, organic grains. So it's, uh, it's, it's basically a better for you beer. And for someone who does work out and tries to be smart about what I consume, then I, I also know that, you know, there's a lot of times that you want to celebrate with family and friends and, and, you know, the good times in life. And you want to be able to do it without sacrificing all the hard work and effort you put in during the week. And I feel like we've accomplished that goal. And see, when I heard about this for the first time, I see all these pictures of you on Instagram and you are as healthy and in shape as anybody in our age group that I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and so that's what was interesting to me that we have the launch of this new beer eight after your Jersey number, obviously. And yet here you are the model of health. Now a big part of this new beer company. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and I've, you know, I've considered myself a lifelong athlete, of course, I, even after I retired, you know, I still kept up with my workouts and even more so in the last three, four years, uh, as far as what, you know, I've, I've cut out a lot of things and making sure I'm getting my rest. I got my gallon jug here. I drink one to wow. two of these, one to two of those a day. And, Wait. uh, well, hold on. Just, one to two gallons of water a day. Yeah. And it's just, it, Adam, it is the single best thing I've, I've ever done. It's the easiest thing to do, but people, you know, not many people get enough water and hydrate well enough. And it's made a huge difference for me, but on then the, on the beer front, I mean, Hey, I, I, uh, I, I like to enjoy an adult beverage and with friends and family. And that usually is, uh, over a cold beer. And so I just was looking for something that kind of fit my lifestyle and uh, I believe eight does that. I believe it does it better than any beer that's on the market. And people can buy it in stores now. They can order it online. What's the situation? Well, there? we just announced. Uh, we just announced it will be available. It's only going to be available in Texas, and it will be in bars and restaurants beginning February first. And then they'll what they call a reset. I've learned a lot about retail and the beer industry, but 
in March, it'll be it'll then be available on the shelves at grocery stores, convenience stores where you can go in and purchase it. See, I just wonder if you go nationwide and you take down the Anheuser Busch family, I wonder if a native St. Louisan like Joe Buck is going to be upset that you're doing damage to the St. Louis economy and taking over the beer business, Troy. Yeah, he might. He might. But since it's now no longer in the Bush family, I, I think he'd give me a little grace. <laughs> and what, what is it also with TV guys? Because Jim Nance has got his own wine. Now you've got your own beer. What is it with successful TV people and their own alcoholic brands? Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. You know, Drew Bledsoe, he's got his own wine as well. And Drew's been a longtime friend. His is called Double Back. Of course, Jim Nance is the calling. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know anyone else who's doing a beer, though. I know a lot of people are doing wines, a lot of tequilas and vodkas, but I don't know anyone that's doing a beer. In fact, the tequila thing has become a big thing, too, right? There was an episode of The Simpsons this past Sunday night that I happened to watch, and they were mocking all the celebrities that have tequila named after them. So it's become a real thing. If you are established in your chosen profession, as you are at the top of your profession, to then go launch your own line of tequila beer in this particular case. We're launching. Yeah, we're launching beer. It, it, I, maybe they're smarter than I am because <laughs> there's over 8,000 breweries across America. And we chose to dive into the segment of that. That is probably the most competitive in the light beer segment. So uh, we're not naive. We've got our work cut out for us. We're taking on the big boys, but you know, like I like to say, if, if I was always worried about failure or not being successful, I never would have been the Cowboys quarterback. So I, you know, I don't shy away from that and we'll just kind of see where it goes, but we sure are optimistic and we love our, we love what we've got, uh, in our product. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. How do you find enough time in the day to drink all that water, work out the way you do, do the game of the week on Fox, and do your beer business? It's uh, it, Adam, I, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir with you because I know how hard you work. It, it, a lot of time management for sure. There's no doubt about that. And then the Thursday night schedule, you know, when we were doing Thursday night games as well, it, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot, of, a lot of preparation, getting ready for these games. And, and I've been able to manage it on the beer side during the football season. And then when the season has ended, I've just been all in uh, on, the, on the beer stuff. So I've loaded the wagon, so to speak, in the offseason, the NFL offseason on the beer side. And then uh, I just try to be as practical as I can with my time during the football season, but, but football takes priority. There's no doubt. Take me back to that water for a second before we get to football. Who got you to drink that much water? And when you say it's the best thing you've done, in what 
ways has it changed your life? Yeah. So uh, I've always drank a lot of water um, and I, I really wasn't sure exactly how much I drank, but I really believe that I drank the, the required amount for my size. And I remember one time I was in a production meeting with Tom Brady and he walked in with this, with this gallon jug. And I started asking him about it. He goes, yeah, no, I just feel that hydration is extremely important to performance and, you know, rest and sleep and all those things. And so one day, this was like a year, year and a half later, I was thinking about water. I was reading something about it. And I said, yeah, I drink probably about a gallon of water a day. And, but I thought, how do you really know? Cause you lose track when you're trying to count bottles and all that. And so I bought this jug thinking of Tom. I said, oh yeah, I remember Tom had that gallon jug the one time. So I went online, bought this jug. And what I realized, Adam, was that I wasn't drinking as much water as I thought. And so during COVID, I was drinking three gallons a day. Now there, there is a point of that, that you don't get the returns on what you're doing and that you're, you're going to the restroom all night long. You're just yeah. not getting any sleep. That's what I was But your body, your body kind of regulates and so that's how it all began. And everyone kind of makes fun of my job. I carry it around with me almost everywhere. I mean, people see me. I carry it into restaurants. I have it in the booth with me. And people kind of laugh about it. Joe Buck just got a, he just got a gallon jug. You know, really? he's doing it now. Yeah. And so it, what it's done is it's really helped. It definitely has helped with just overall bodily function, you know, your digestion and everything else. But it's helped. I've always been a good sleeper, but I feel like I sleep better. I've noticed a difference in my skin. I just feel better overall. You know, you don't get as fatigued. A lot of times when you're fatigued, it's from being dehydrated. And so just all around, I've really talked to people about it and said, I think the best thing, that the easiest thing you can do for your health, you know, working out and all those things are important, what you're eating. But if you just started with drinking your proper amount of water, you'd be amazed at how much of an improvement you'd feel. See, I had Alex Guerrero on the podcast and he was talking about water and I remember Tom Brady going on the Howard Stern show and of all the things he talked about the one thing I remember him talking about was drinking his body weight I think in water yeah. per day and I think Alex, it's uh half of your body I think it's half of your body weight in ounces or something to that effect. so if yeah. I weigh 180 pounds I should be drinking 90 ounces of water per day correct yeah that's right yeah I got I, I and and I started doing it and then I've gotten away from it and I got to get back to doing that. Well, and a lot, lot, a lot of these diets too, it, one, it's just good for you. But then also uh, it does curb your appetite. I mean, when you're drinking that much water. So I know that there's a lot of these diets programs. You know, I've gotten real strict on my diet. I don't really consider it a diet so much as just, you know, it's just the way that I eat. But uh, I think that when you're drinking as much water as this, that it does help with weight loss if that's your goal. So if you're drinking all this water and you're drinking your beer, I would imagine you're having to go to the bathroom all day. All day long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> hey, look, you look as good as you do. You feel as good as you do. You're getting sleep, your skin, all those benefits. You're doing the right things. Well, now, I, I will say, Hey, Adam, it's the best I've ever felt. I mean, in every <gasps> way health. And it's not just, it, I meditate. I started meditating about eight years ago and went through a stretch uh, several years ago where I got away from it a little bit, wasn't as diligent, my practice. And for the last two and a half, three years, I do 30 minutes every morning. Uh, I've been on retreats, uh, done that. Um, so I, that, that has made a noticeable difference. So when I say 
when I say health and wellness, it's not just about lifting weights and doing cardio, it, but it is a all encompassing. It's, you know, how it's, I eat a whole food diet, uh, no dairy, no carbs, uh, the water, uh, then the mindfulness stuff with meditation and yoga, uh, all of it. And it's the, it, it, it truly is the best I've ever felt. So when you get up that meditation that you do, is that a program that you go to, or you've learned enough that you could just go meditate by yourself for 30 minutes? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause there's a lot of great apps yeah. out there for people that hear this, that they can go on calm or insight timer, you know, and there's, there's a few others, but uh, I don't, I don't do a guided meditation. I, I just do it on my own. I have a timer. I set a timer, but I just do it on my own. And I will say that. So I told you I've been meditating for about eight years. Um, uh, but I, for the first probably six and a half years, I was doing it knowing that there were some benefits in there somewhere, but I wasn't really noticing them like I would like. And then I read this book a couple of years ago at the start of COVID called Untethered Soul. And I posted it on my Instagram account and it was life-changing for me. And, and it may not be for everybody, but for me it was because it, it really kind of unlocked the door of meditation and what I was trying to do. And so now when I meditate, I truly am getting the benefits of it. And I understand why I'm doing it. I'm not meditating to be better at meditating. I'm meditating to be better at life. And I've now noticed that. And so I don't react to things quite like I used to. And, you know, I was a pretty volatile player and I had a temper and, 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 you know, I held, I held teammates to a high standard and was very quick to let them know when those standards weren't being met. Uh, and I've had teammates, I've gone on their podcast recently and we've talked about, our playing days and they've talked about my impact on those teams and what a great leader I was. And, and I am almost apologetic. I tell them, I say, you know, I, I would be a different teammate today than I was then. I would have reacted to situations a lot differently than I did then. And they, I don't know if we would have been as good a team. You know, I don't know if we would have been as good a team or as a, or would have accomplished as much but I know that I would have handled situations a lot differently because I know that I handle things a lot differently today than I do just a few years ago. But you're also at a different stage of your life, right? You've had all this success. You've had all this fame, wealth, live your life the way you do. Your girls are grown and in college. So it's easier. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong because I have a seventh grader. I have a senior in college. I'm living the job I do, which is as I tell people, a lifestyle more than it's a job. And it really, right, it's right. relentless. I agree with that. I right? agree with that. I agree and with that. So, so while I am, I consider myself a healthy person, when I listen to you, I'm not at that level. And I wish I could get there. I don't know that the way I live my life, and maybe this is a cop-out, that I could. But in your position right now, I would imagine it's very easy to look back and think that you would have been a different quarterback, you could have been a different quarterback, but that's what made you the great player you are, and you've evolved to where you are today. And so it's easy to be in that position and look back and see the evolution of Troy Aikman through the years. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that 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 life experiences takes you to a different place. And and as a as someone who now is 55 years old compared to when I was 26, 27, 30 years old, single, no children no real responsibility to speak of. Yeah, I think we all change over time. 
Uh, I just know the impact that, that meditation has had on, on my life. It's become more mainstream, and I think that's really good. Uh, but I think so many people, so many people could benefit from it. Adam, I was a guy at one time that, I mean, I had serious road rage. I mean, if somebody was putting along on the highway, you know, it's like, come on, let's go, you know. And now I, I use life's everyday moments to really practice uh, mindfulness and not being quite so reactionary to things. And, uh, and I think that that's been the key for me. And it's been a, it's been a great journey. I mean, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and just, just love where I'm at in my life right now. I wish I'd discovered it even earlier. I do talk to my kids, my daughters about it. And in their time, I don't push it on them, but in their time, you know, but, but I encourage them, uh, to, to do some of those things. And I think the sooner everyone finds that, I just think the, the better quality of life they live. See, we are the same age and I wish I had more Troy Aikman in me. I can think of, <laughs> and I mean, I really mean that. Like I'm thinking of last week, we have a friend, my wife and I, we have a lease on a car. The lease is coming up. We're talking to a friend who owns a car dealership. He's telling us what to do because you can't get cars anymore. So we could sell, buy out our lease and Get and just then, I was waiting for a head coach to call me back. And I've been waiting all morning. The phone rang. And I'm like, hey, I got to go. I got to go. And so I woke upstairs. My wife goes, do you realize how rude you were to our friend? <laughs> and, 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 and I go, here we go. Here we go. And she goes, yeah. so I said, I will call him and I will apologize for being short and being worked up and being the road rage <laughs> Troy that you used to be before yeah. you start meditating and having this diet. And I, I need more of that. I just feel like. God, it's hard to get that done in a day for me. Yeah, it, we, I guess we all need more of it. But I also, what, what that tells me, though, about you, Adam, and it's why you're so great at what you do in your job, is that it's important to you, you know, oh. and you, you feel you have a responsibility to the people that listen to you or your employer that pays you to have insight that no one else has. And, you know, so that's a, that, that it, it, it's kind of, it's finding that balance, which, which for me, goes back to why I launched the beer. Uh, I, I, I try to have that balance and enjoy. I, I know that there's times during the course of a week or a month to where there are things that, that should be celebrated. And whether that's just celebrating friends and family and or life's small victories, whatever it is. And I don't want to get so regimented that I don't take the time to really enjoy those mm. moments in life. And like I said, for me, that usually involves a cold beer. And, and so that's why I went the route that I'm, that I did uh, with this particular beer that we made and uh, pretty fired up about it. So what makes Troy Aikman most happy these days with everything that you do have going on? Is it calling a great game? Is it being with your daughters? Is it the launch of eight? What is it that makes you, you most know, happy? Yeah, it's uh, it's all those things, Adam. I mean, it really is. I, I would tell you that, you know, the time that I have with my daughters is is very special. I'd say the most special, you know. And now that they are off in college, I have one who's here in Dallas at SMU. My other daughter actually leaves tomorrow to go back to Washington and Lee. They're in Lexington, Virginia. But it's amazing. You know, your kids are still in the house. It's amazing how fast it goes. And I know even for you, you're amazed at how how grown up yours have become here in what seems like a, the, the blink of an eye. But I think that 
you know, going back to the meditation and just being more mindful of, of everyday moments in life and living, in, you know, presently, that all of those things you said are, are moments for me of reflection and, and, and good times. I mean, I, I, I probably value my job more than I ever have. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy it. I enjoy working with the people that I work with. I love my time with the girls and this moment that I'm in right now with the launching of, of our beer, eight lager, uh, is really exciting. I've always wanted to do something beyond football. I got into the car business for a while and then, uh, got out of that. And now this is a, another venture for me that I'm really fired up about. But why do you need to get into the car business? Why do you need to get into the beer business? Why do you need to do anything beyond what you're already doing? You know, it's a, it's such a great question. Um, I'm not sure, but I, I think I've got an answer for you is that one of the guys who I followed, who's been a bit of a mentor to me in Dallas is Roger Staubach. Huh. And what I've always admired about Roger is he had this hall of fame football career. And then when he retired, he built a real estate empire that he was very successful in. And I'm very proud of, of my career athletically. Uh, but I've just always felt that, I don't know, that, I wanted to, to, to prove myself beyond just football and football has been really good to me. And I love the game of football and I owe so much of what I have to the game of football, even now, I mean, as a broadcaster, it's because of football. And I've just always felt this urge uh, to build something, to do something beyond the game of football. And, and, and the car business offered that opportunity and, and did well in that, had a lot of fun with it. And now uh, now we're embarking on this venture with the beer business, and we'll see where it leads. I'm trying to remember who I had this conversation with, but we were talking about certain players and how many have gone on to greater careers post-football than they actually had in football. And Roger Staubach was yeah. one of the very first names, if not at the top of that list, that came up in the course of that conversation. So that's a great mentor yeah. to have for you. When you're doing the broadcasting, does that still bring you? as much happiness and pleasure as it wants to, because you've done that a long time at the top level. 21 years now in broadcasting. Wow. It's hard to believe, you know, I played 12 years. I still think of wow. myself as relatively new and young in, in the TV business, but yeah, it does. I get more satisfaction now out of TV and broadcasting than I ever have. I, I will say, I forget which Super Bowl number it was, but it was when we it was it was Eli Manning and the Giants when they when they beat the undefeated uh, New England Patriots uh, there in Arizona with the David Tyree helmet yeah. catch and and all that. And I remember after that game, I've told this story before. I got back to the hotel and my wife at the time, I said, hey, you know, rather than go to the Fox party, why don't we just go down and have dinner and relax? And I'm just really not in the mood for you know, having a big get together with the crew. And she said, all right. So we went downstairs and Ron Jaworski comes up to me and goes, man, that would get game was unbelievable. How about that? He was all excited. And I said, yeah, it was, you know, it was good. And he goes, yeah, how about that catch? And I said, yeah, it was pretty incredible, Ron. And he goes, well, what's wrong? Why aren't you excited? I said, ah, you know, I said, Ron, I said, man, I, I, I played in these games, you know, and I won these games. I said, I didn't do anything. I just talked about it, you know? And he kind of looked at me, Ron looked at me like, man, and, you know, I was, and he walked off. And I remember, I remember telling my wife, I said, you know, this may be the greatest game that I ever call. This may be the, 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 the pinnacle of my broadcasting career. And I couldn't feel more empty. I, I couldn't feel 
like I accomplished less than right now. I mean, and so it was a really weird feeling. And I, and I thought if this is, if this is what this industry has to offer, maybe I'm in the wrong business, you know, and, and it was as down as I've ever been in broadcasting. But what's strange about that, Adam, is I don't really know why it changed after that, but I've never felt that way since. I mean, not even close to feeling that way since now, I get a real sense of satisfaction and joy when when I feel like we did the game justice. If we had a big game and I feel like we did, you know, the game it's due and and covered it well, uh, then I come out of the game like I did as a player, feeling totally satisfied. And and then there's games when I don't think that I was as good as I should have been. And I'm, you know, I'm disappointed. And that's that's part of it. But I no longer have this emptiness, like I can't get get satisfaction. Maybe just, maybe just took kind of. I don't even want to say hitting bottom. It wasn't like hitting bottom. There's people out there that are, that have really hit bottom, but I think it was that was the bottom of my broadcasting career, and it's been uh, it's wow. been really good ever since. Was it Ron's message that changed your perspective? Was it you just thinking about things? What I think, think it was, it was, yeah, I think it was just, I don't think it was, I don't think it was Ron's reaction. Uh, I think it was just more, I think I had to take a hard look at it. I think it, I think it kind of forced me to really evaluate what I was trying to get from this profession, because there's no question. I remember the first game that I broadcast, I was working with Daryl Johnston my first year and Dick Stockton and the game ended my first game. So this is my first experience with it. The, we're in the, it was a good game and it goes down to the last couple minutes. One of the teams wins. We put our headsets down. We leave the booth. We go down to where the trucks are and everybody's running around getting in cars to get to the airport, to get home. Mm-hmm. Hey, Troy, great job. Hey, we'll see you next week. I'll give you a call. We'll find out when we're going to be meeting. And yeah, okay. I mean, things are going hundred miles an hour. All of a sudden we're flying to the airport. We get to the airport. Daryl and I get on our plane. And we're sitting there, I'm sitting next to him, and it's just, it was a whirlwind ever since the game ended. And I just said, man, I, said, I look over at him, I said, what the hell just happened? And he said, what do you mean? I said, man, we said, we're having this great game. And I said, the game ends, and man, everybody's off doing their own thing and heading home. And I said, I just don't even know what, what just took place. I mean, did we do well? Did we not do well? And and so the, all of that is a is a huge adjustment because in 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 sports, when I was playing, the best moments were after a win, whether it was on a plane ride going home or in the locker room. And, hey, we're all going to go meet up at this bar or this restaurant. Let's go celebrate this victory. And, you know, you don't have that as much. And so it it took some time. It took some time for me to really figure that part of it out. It's a different phenomenon. There's a coach I was talking to last week about it. And we're talking about the idea of broadcasting, coaching, that type of thing. And I say, you don't get the lows that you get during coaching, but you don't get the highs either. It's a more balanced life. You're right. involved with the sport, but you're not living and dying with it. But it's still something that is a big, major part of your life without the emotional roller coaster if you're coaching. Yeah, there's some. There are some who are able to leave the game and go into broadcast, and I'm talking about coaches, there are some that are able to do that and be totally content. Uh, John Madden, for instance, was was one of those guys. And Dick Vermeil was one of those guys for a really long time. And then there's others like Bill Parcells. They have the itch. You, 
you know, yeah. And it's, it is, it, it is, it is like a, it's a drug to where, and you do, I mean, I know about it from a player's perspective when you're in it, when you're, when you're the one who's in the arena going through it, the, the wins are euphoric, but when you lose, it is the worst feeling in the world. And, yeah. and it, it's torture. And you say to yourself, man, why am I doing this? I mean, this is miserable. But then when you get out of it, you not only miss the winning, but you miss, you miss the depths of losing. I mean, you, there's nothing else in life that I've done to where you have the highs and lows like you do as an NFL player or coach. And I think that that's to, 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 to lay it on the line each and every week and go through those emotions Boy, it's hard to just walk away from that and broadcasting. Yeah, you still get a little bit of it, but when the, but you're you're not invested like you are as a player or a coach. But let me tie it all together. Last week, that all Madden special ran, and when you talk about the emptiness that you didn't have from, or the emptiness you had from broadcasting, and you talk about what John Madden meant to your career, you said he narrated your career. He was the voice of your career. So you now in many ways yeah. are narrating the careers of the great players, most notably in the NFC conference and Aaron Rodgers or a Dak yeah. Prescott, you're voicing their games and will narrate their careers and the big moments in the playoffs on Fox's number one broadcast team. So that I would think would be enough to take you out of those despairs that you've had previously and also put you in the category that John Madden holds for you. Well, you're kind and drawn the parallel. That is true. It is true that I'm now, Joe and I are now the voice for a lot of players' careers uh, in their biggest moments. Um, I I, I still feel, and and I know you would agree, as everyone else would as well, uh, I won in that department when Pat Summerall and John Madden are the ones who are calling, you know, your career and your biggest games. Uh, and they're the soundtrack to that. That's, that's pretty powerful stuff. I will tell you, Adam, and this is not, uh, hyperbole. I watched, I watched the all Madden documentary on Christmas Eve, the night before it actually aired on Fox. I had an advanced copy and was able to watch it. And then I knew after watching it, and I thought it was so well done. Joel Santos and Tom Rinaldi did a fantastic job. I, I don't, I just don't think you would change anything about the way that that was done. But then knowing that that documentary was leading into our Christmas Day game, we had hoped that the documentary would follow our game. But because of other games going on in the NFL, that wasn't possible. So now I watch this documentary. I'm totally moved by it. John was a very close personal friend. And then to be thinking that, gosh, it's going to go from the John Madden documentary tomorrow on Christmas Day into our broadcast. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worthy to be in the broadcast booth. I reached out to Richie Zions, my producer, on Christmas Eve after I watched it. And he's a close friend of John's as well. And I said, I honestly don't feel worthy of being in the broadcast booth after the documentary on John Madden as an analyst. I just, and I don't, I I don't think that he has any equal. I've heard some say, yeah, he's thought to be, you know, one of the best analysts of all time. And I say thought to be one of the best, this guy was hands down 
the best analyst in the history of sports. I mean, he changed the way being a color analyst is, uh, you know, looked at. And so nobody's worthy for that matter. Nobody's worthy to follow John Madden and uh, Chris Collinsworth. And I did when he left for ABC, John called me up. I was in Santa Barbara after one year of broadcasting and said, Hey, just want to let you know, I'm going to go to Monday night football. And I couldn't believe it. I didn't, th- I didn't know what that meant to me. I didn't think anything for me, but then the next thing I knew I was in the number one booth with Collinsworth and Joe. Well, you were worthy of that spot. And let me say this about the special. Also, I watched that the night that he passed away, which obviously was a powerful night and it was an incredible show. And I liked it so much that the next night I made my 21 year old son sit down and watch it with me. And he's yeah. never been a big sports fan, but he loved the show and it was incredible and it was moving and John Madden to me made the biggest impact when you think about it of anybody on the sport of football in history in history no question no question I can't think of anybody who who impacted the game more and I'm talking about from all the angles yeah I I agree I think that you know there are a lot of people when we look over the history of the NFL there are a lot of people who have who have who have helped with the growth and popularity of the sport I I I say this unabashed I don't think anyone I don't think anyone did more for our sport than John Madden Did you see the story that Peter King wrote on Monday with Brad Sham in the booth did you hear about it No so I was flying to Pittsburgh on Monday morning I left my house 4:30 in the morning And I'm reading Peter's column and I came across the thing and I knew we were going to be talking to him. Like, I've got to make sure that Troy hears this. So he says, John Madden did one game in his life as a radio analyst. It was on August Saturday night in 2001 when Brad Sham needed a fill in for analysts on the Dallas Cowboys radio network for a game at the Oakland Coliseum against the Raiders. This was the first game that the Cowboys played after the retirement of Troy Aikman. Madden agreed to do it. He came into the booth that night, Sham recalls, with a backward cap overalls and brooch shoes that were on Velcroed. Two memorable things that night. John said, they're moving left to right on your radio dial. I always wanted to say that, Sham said. No need to say that on TV, of course. And late in the broadcast, Madden said, Troy Aikman. That's it, Sham said, huh? And Madden said, I didn't think the night should end without someone mentioning Troy Aikman. Brad has Brad told me that story uh, after after that game, and it was it was great. I mean, it was just great, John Madden. It's 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 what you know. It was such a and it was a lighthearted moment when they when they did it. Uh, but that was that was John's greatness. I was on a show earlier this morning. We got to talking about John and. You know, when he was in the documentary, he's drawn up the my lack of a beard, I guess, and, you know, having fun with that. And but John was like that when you just were in a room with him just talking, you know, he would notice he his greatness was was he would notice things that just other people wouldn't or just the something just so simple that you wouldn't even pay attention to it. John did and he could take it and run with it. And turn it, and anyone else who would try to do what John did or has done, it, it doesn't work. For John, it just all came so natural and and so easy, and that's what really people remember. Nobody talks about all the great points that he made uh, about football, and he made plenty of them. 
you know, what they talked about around the water cooler on Monday at work at the office was all him drawing up the sweat stains on Nate Newton and the offensive lineman or the turducken and, you know, all those kinds of things. And he was, uh, he was, he was special. I, 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 I was able to text with him Christmas Eve night wow. after I watched it. And I just told him, uh, how much he meant to me and how proud I was to call him a friend. And he got back and we texted back and forth and, and his health was really good at the time. You know, he was having a hard time hearing, but no one foresaw uh, what would take place just a few days later, but I'm glad he got to see it. I, I do know this. I know he loved the documentary. He was sure proud of it. Well, let me, let me say this couple of things. When I watched it, it brought me back to how and why I first fell in love with football and to hear him and Pat Summerall, it, it, it took me, Back 100%. to my youth. I mean, that was it. And then I called Tom Rinaldi the morning after I watched it to let him know how incredible I thought it was and how great yeah. it was. Tom was saying that I think that he may believe, that people may believe that because John got to watch the documentary with his family and after it ended, he turned around to everybody. What do you think? I love yeah. it. What do you think? I love it. Everyone yeah. loved it. That and he heard all the words from people like yourself about what he meant to them. And I think at that point, they think he was at peace leaving this world. Yeah. Like he had he had heard what he needed to hear. Yeah, I tend to I tend to believe that too. Yeah, I tend to believe that too. I think that if we all of us for that matter, we get to that stage in our lives and we're able to hear the people who mean the most to us. And what our impact was on them, I, I can only imagine, you know, what peace and joy that that brought to him. Uh, so I'm glad he got to see, you know, originally, you know, you think back to when John retired, I was just talking to Al Michaels about it. You know, he did that Super Bowl with Pittsburgh and Arizona and a few months passed and all of a sudden out of nowhere, he just announces he's retiring. I mean, no one knew that he was even thinking about retiring wasn't this big press conference and he's always pretty much kept to himself and he wasn't in favor of doing this, but Richie Zions, my producer, who I said was real close with him, you know, he and Eric Shanks, uh, they, they went and met with John and talked to him about doing it and got him to do it. Not only agree to doing it, but then also be on camera for it. So uh, I'm so thrilled that it got done. You think the generations of people, that'll get a chance to watch this and, and get a, a kind of a glimpse of what John Madden was and is, and it's pretty cool. Before I let you go, you have a little bit of an unsettled future here. Uh, I'm curious to know if you still would be interested in running a football team one day, if that would fit into the Troy Aikman schedule, because I would imagine if you're doing that, there wouldn't be a lot of time for meditating, Troy. <laughs> might, you might have to make more time for meditating. If that was the case. Um, you know, I, I when I was playing, I always thought that was the direction I was going to go. Um, my personal circumstances didn't allow me to do that. I was raising two young daughters, and broadcasting really afforded me the time to be home with them. Uh, but like I said, my youngest is now a freshman in college. If I was ever going to pursue it, now would be the time. But I don't know if the time—I don't know if the opportunity would present itself. And if it did, I'm not—I'm not certain I would take it right now because I really like my life and I'm—I'm I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. But I do think I would be good at it, Adam, if I decided to do it. And I do believe that if—if if years pass 
and I'm looking back on my life and I didn't have that opportunity, I, I think there would be a little bit of a hole. Huh. Not to say that I have to fill it, but I would say that I would always wonder if, if and it's one thing to say, I think I would be good. It's another thing to say I was good. And so I think there's a part of me that would always look back and say, you know, I wonder, I wonder how I would have done had I have been running a football team, because I know the kind of team I'd want, the kind of players I'd want, the kind of head coach I'd want. And I think, you know, the, those things are conducive to giving yourself at least a chance to be successful. I don't, I don't pretend to think that it's easy to do. I, I know it's hard. And I try to show that respect when I cover these games, but yet, you're either in the arena or you're not. And I've been out of the arena now for 21 years and to jump back in and try something like that, that would be challenging and it would be exciting, but whether or not I would ultimately ever do it, I'm not so sure. Challenging and appealing, but even though the time may be more right than it's ever been, it still may not be ideal now. Correct. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I just, I'm real happy. You know, you got to be careful what you wish for. You know, that's a hard job. That's a hard job. A hard let me job. say this. You go from right now, you're reliant on you, the people that are helping you with eight, your Fox team, but really it's you. I often say to the people that I'm talking to, when you're drafting the players, you could put together this great team, a great coaching staff. On Sunday, you're sitting there, you're watching these people who have your fate and control your mood for the next week in their hands. And I don't know that I would be yeah. comfortable doing that. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's uh, it would definitely be a total change of lifestyle. Uh, I I work hard now, but the hours that they put in, like you said, it's on it's a different level. And you know, I've never hard work has never bothered me. I don't I don't mind that. Uh, I get paid less. Uh, there's a lot of things that would change, but it, and so then I ask myself, okay, well, why then would I do it? It would really be an ego decision. And it, it, is that the best thing? is that the best thing for me? And is it the best thing for my family and uh, long-term? And those are the things, but, but the other part of that, Adam is, is even if I were to sit here and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I want to go do that. Uh, somebody then has to give you that opportunity and it's a young man's game. Uh, so there would be a learning curve involved. So right now uh, I, I'm, I, like I said, I'm real happy with my life. I'm, I, I love what I'm doing. I really do. I mean, I love everything about my broadcasting job, what I'm doing now with eight beer, my family life. Uh, everything's great and uh, no complaints. Last thing before I let you go, Troy, how close are the Dallas Cowboys to winning or not winning a Super Bowl? Well, I think they've got a really good team. Uh, they haven't played great. They played great against Washington. Washington you know, didn't have much that particular night. But I think they're a really talented team. I don't, I don't think there is a real front runner in the NFC. I know a lot of people would say Green Bay, but I've covered a lot of Packers games, and they played some pretty average football teams and, and barely got out of those games with a win. I think Aaron Rodgers, of course, if he's not their quarterback, they lose a lot more of those games. But I think – it is wide open in the NFC. Wow. And so even regardless of whatever you think of the way that Dallas has played here over the last six weeks, I think you could say the same things about Arizona, Tampa Bay, Los Angeles, uh, and even, even the Green Bay Packers. So I think Dallas, this team has a good feel. I think Mike McCarthy's done a good job, but I think Dak Prescott really kind of sets the tone 
They've got playmakers on defense. I think that this is as good a year for them to go and win it all as, as they've had in a long, long time. Now, whether or not they can ultimately do it, uh, we'll see. Because as we know, the great thing, the thing that I enjoy so much about the postseason, you get one chance to put your best yeah, effort no. out there. And if you, there's no excuses. If you don't get it done, you go home. And uh, that's going to be true for all these teams. Let me leave you with this. You have the kind of life that would have a lot of people envious. You're at the top of your field in broadcasting. You have an incredible life in terms of health and wellness. You've got a new beer, Eight Lager, out right now that is available in Texas starting February 1st. It's great to be Troy Aikman. And you're worthy of that <laughs> spot. And you're worthy of that spot yeah. following the John Madden special, leading into the John Madden special, wherever they put you next to him, because you've had that kind of run. Well, you're kind. I I, I appreciate that. Uh, it is. I, I I've had a I've had a blessed life. I have a great life, and and I don't take that for granted. And I think, uh, you know, I think I'm probably more mindful of that, and I don't have to remind myself of that so much. I I, I know that, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 truly blessed, and I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate your friendship. And my last little thing, when they send the beer to my house, could they throw in a gallon water jug with it too? <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> I'm getting one of those. I'm yep. getting one of those. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How cool was that, right? Just listening to Troy Aikman share some of his thoughts about beer, about water, about meditation. He also doesn't sound as high on the Green Bay Packers as I am. Like to me, the Packers have been the best team in football all year long going away. And I think they are the favorite to get to and win the Super Bowl. But I think Troy needs to be a little bit more convinced on the Green Bay Packers before we get there yet. So we'll see how that works out. All right. On last week's podcast, I always like to close out the year by mentioning those who we lost during the year. And it was almost a form of foreshadowing because then within the span of a few hours on Tuesday, and then later in the week on New Year's Day, we lost three incredibly important and notable people. First, we lost Jeff Dickerson, an ESPN colleague, a reporter who covered the Chicago Bears, worked at the ESPN Chicago radio station. And Jeff Dickerson was 43, and he succumbed to complications from colon cancer. Now, what was incredible about this is that two years before, Jeff Dickerson lost his wife to melanoma. And then two years later, he dies from complications of colon cancer. And he leaves behind an 11-year-old son named Parker Dickerson. And somebody, his, and Jeff Dickerson's sister-in-law had set up a GoFundMe page for Parker Dickerson uh, that began to get some traction on social media after his passing. And it was an honor and a privilege to help spread the word and to see how much respect Jeff Dickerson had, to see how beloved he was, and to see all these people, mainly in Chicago, but all across the country, come out in droves to support Jeff Dickerson, to donate to this cause, to help basically make Parker Dickerson's life a little bit easier than the hand he had been dealt here in the last two years where he lost both his parents to cancer. Well, as we record this on 
Tuesday afternoon, there have been over 15,000 donors to the Parker Dickerson Fund. There has been over $1.1 million donated to Parker Dickerson. I can't think of a better way to donate money than to help out Parker Dickerson, who lost both his parents. And yesterday, his aunt, Jen Hoban, who I spoke to on the phone last week, posted a note on that site that said, our entire family has been truly humbled by the outpouring of love and support for J.D. and Parker. The funds raised and the expressions of love and support have far exceeded all expectations. The ESPN family deserves a special debt of gratitude. The unbelievable public response for Parker has been a direct result of the efforts of so many at ESPN. Jeff loved working for ESPN, his lifelong dream. It's easy to see why. The love and support that has flowed from his friends, supporters, and colleagues from across the entire network and the stories they've shared about Jeff publicly and privately have touched our hearts in a very special way. Please know that every dollar raised from this effort will support Parker's future and will be overseen by his guardians and trustees. We will shortly end this GoFundMe effort for Parker. But if you're interested in continuing to support Jeff's legacy, please consider a donation to the Val McClure and Jeff Dickerson Foundation with the web address there. Thank you again for your outpouring of support. As we all grieve the loss of Jeff, please know that Parker is surrounded by a loving family. We hope you will respect his privacy as he takes these next steps in this extraordinarily difficult journey. And honestly, it's uh, it's awesome to see uh, that Parker will at least have some form of relief and that I would assume his college will be paid for. Maybe he'll have a down payment on the home he one day has the chance to buy. And a life that's been disrupted in a way that no 11-year-old should ever have disrupted, um, hopefully, finds a little bit of peace. We also lost John Madden, who we talked about with Troy Aikman at length. And as I told Troy, I don't think there's any individual in NFL history who impacted the game more across all levels. I had the honor privilege of being a sideline reporter for him for two games in 2008. And when I went to dinner with him and Al Michaels and the NBC crew, the night before we did a telecast in Washington, I literally walked in, saw John Madden. And it was like seeing a living legend. Couldn't believe I was in his presence. That's what it was like. He was a larger than life character. And may he always rest in peace. What a great man. What a great life. And what a great loss for everybody. And then on New Year's Day, we found out that we lost Dan Reeves, the man who as a player, assistant coach, and head coach went to nine different Super Bowls, which trails only Bill Belichick in the 12 he has gone to and Tom Brady in the 10 he has gone to for the third most Super Bowls of any individual in NFL history. Dan Reeves also happens to be the first head coach that I ever covered in the NFL. And Dan Reeves may be responsible solely for me being selective in the words I choose, because back then I reported on a story in 1992, I had come across some research, stumbled across the fact that the Broncos owner at the time, Pat Bowen had always extended Dan Reeves contract with two years remaining. And at this particular time, going to that particular season, Dan Reeves was going to the last year of his deal. And not only has had his contract not been extended, but there were no talks to extend it. And it became obvious to me as a reporter, just adding one in one, that Dan Reeves' days in Denver, even though he was a legend there, were numbered. 
And I wrote a story about it that ran in the Rocky Mountain News, first newspaper I worked for as a professional. And NBC at the time sent one of its reporters, a woman by the name of Gail Gardner, out to Denver to do a story on why Dan Reeves, the great Dan Reeves, would not be back in Denver the next year. And nobody in the Broncos organization was willing to go on the record and talk to her. But there was at that time a young 25-year-old, ambitious, hardworking reporter who was only too happy to talk to NBC. And at that time, I learned an awful lot because I went to a park, a local park with Kale Gardner, and she kept asking me, why won't Dan Reeves be back at him? What is it about him? And she kept asking me the same question over and over. And I was stupid enough at the time to essentially, over the course of 30 minutes, string together the adjectives, humorless, radical, condescending, dictatorial. There was one other. There were five altogether. That did not play well in the Broncos organization. And the Broncos longtime vice president, Jim Sakamano, went around and told everybody there that essentially the Broncos had a new puppy. And the new puppy made a mess all over the carpet. And the new puppy was going to grow up one day and be a big dog. But right now they had to clean up the mess that the puppy made all over the carpet. I was the puppy. And that Monday morning, Dan Reeves summoned me to his office to explain to him why he was each of those five adjectives that I used for him on national television. Now I've covered some intimidating coaches, Bo Schembechler at Michigan, and I've covered some intimidating coaches after the fact. There was nobody that I was ever more nervous to go face than Dan Reeves the Monday morning after I described him in the terms I did on NBC. And he called me to his office and he said, Adam, I'd like to know why you think I'm humorless. And I answered, Adam, I'd like to know why you think I was tyrannical. And I answered, Adam, I'd like to know why you think I was dictatorial. And I answered, and he went through the five adjectives that I called him. And I went back downstairs, tail between my legs, literally and figuratively. And I learned at that moment that when you're in this business, you better choose your words carefully. You better be measured in what you do and don't say. And Dan Reeves was a great coach. He should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Despite the fact of anything I may have said about him back in the day, he had a huge impact on the game. He helped trade for John Elway. He helped trade to go draft Michael Vick. He was a tremendous player throwing a touchdown pass in the ice bowl. Great assistant coach, great head coach. Natalie attired on the sidelines always, always looked dapper, dapper Dan on the sidelines. And he became the first person of note in the football world, the sports community that we lost in 2022. May Dan Reeves, great man that he was, rest in peace. We will miss Dan Reeves. We will miss John Madden. And we will miss Jeff Dickerson, the three men we lost within the same week. This past week. Before we let you go, I want to tell you about Swagoo and Perk, an ESPN podcast led by the namesake host Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Spears and Perkins will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives, career journey with can't miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also, and also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. All right, I want to thank Troy Aikman 
for taking the time to join us on today's Adam Schefter podcast and wish him luck with his new beer venture, Eight Lager. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting this all together. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. And we'll be back next week with more interviews, inside information as we wrap up the regular season and begin to look ahead to the postseason. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.